welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 30th of April 2017, entitled Making Our Church a Great Church, Part 8. And the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 33. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Look back into the book of, of Acts where we have been uh, looking for, uh, uh, this is the eighth sermon in our series on the thought of making our church a great church. Uh, in Acts chapter 5, or chapter 4, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 4, I'm going to begin reading in verse 23. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. Again, beginning in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. When they heard that they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ for a truth against thy holy child Jesus whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Father, thank you again for your word, for it being preserved for us, for your spirit that lives within us. Please, Father, as we look here now, Lord, would you speak to us that which we need to hear this morning? Use thy unworthy servant as a mouthpiece. But Lord, may each heart be spoken to in a manner that only you can do. You know, if there are those amongst us this morning that do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you know, if you have children here today that are walking afar off that need to, Lord, be drawn closer to you, you know, Father, for each and every believer, what struggles, what battles, what difficulties that they may be facing at this time. And so we pray, Lord, we pray as we look into your word that you would meet every need as only you can. We'll give you the praise and the thanks for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Of course, we haven't taken time to read all of this, this passage, but may I just remind you that the words that we have just read from Acts chapter 4 followed immediately after the fact that Peter and John had been brought in before the council because of their preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were told specifically that they were not to preach. As a matter of fact, if you look 
uh, back up into uh, verse 18, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They were not a popular people we're talking about, and uh, as we look today, we're talking about how that our church can be a great church. Not in man's estimations, not by numbers, not by buildings, not by programs, not by anything that man might think, wow, that's a great church. We find that in the day that the great church in the book of Acts, the first church, Oh, yes, there were thousands being saved, and God was moving in a mighty way. But because of God's movement, they were not a popular people. Matter of fact, they were amongst a society where that they were trying to be silenced. But they said that they could not silence. In our reading this morning, we find that they were praying they were praying for God in verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Lord, we know that they're threatening us. We know that they're not very happy. But, Lord, would you please be with us, strengthen us, that we might speak with boldness. Now, chances are that's going to make them even more unpopular. You see... The greatness of a church, we find that in our reading, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. How can we be a great church? How can we be a great church in God's eyes? How can we be a great church in the estimation of accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish? There are lots of churches. There are lots of good churches. There are lots of churches that have various ministries all over this world that are good and honorable. But what does God want for us here at Bethel? What does God want for you? Because Bethel Free Baptist Church is not this brick and mortar. It's the people that make up this body. How can we be a great church for God? A great church in God's eyes. And we've looked at a number of things, and I'm just going to remind you, and I really don't have time to pause upon them in the first seven sermons that we've looked at already. But we saw in order to be a great church, we need great purpose. We've got to get beyond what we want to do and what we think we should do and what we think is a great church and what we think is our vital programs. We looked at three things there. We've got to obey the Savior. <laughs> if we're going to be a great church, we're going to do what? He says, not what man determines. We said that we're going to have to operate in the Spirit, not our power, but in His power, and that we're going to have to offer salvation to all. You see, obedience to Him and His Word, operating in the power of God with the gospel message being our foremost above everything else, we've got to offer them Jesus Christ. We said, secondly, that to be a great church, we must have great preaching. Thank God it doesn't require great preachers. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. 
As a matter of fact, God likes to take the base things, the simple things to confound the wise. God likes to take those that have not the abilities within themselves, but which God can take and use. We don't need great preachers. There are a lot of churches that are built on great preachers, on preachers' names, upon individuals. But the problem is when that man goes, when that man moves, the church falls because it's built upon a preacher, not upon the preaching that's taking place. You see, great preaching, whoever it is, whoever that mouthpiece might be, it always exalts the Savior. It's Jesus Christ that's being lifted up. It's not trying to impress anybody as we saw the Apostle Paul with my ability and my words and what I can do. It's exalting Jesus Christ. It's lifting him above everything else that if you see anything, if you see anybody today, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. It edifies the saints. That word edifies means to enlighten, to benefit those that are already saved, that are part of this church. And of course, that does. It does mean reproving, rebuking, exhorting. It includes the, the long-suffering and the, the doctrine, the teaching of God's Word. Sometimes it feels good and sometimes it doesn't feel so good. But preaching is going to, great preaching is going to enlighten and benefit the saint because it's focused upon what God has for us, and it's going to expose sin. We live in a day when people don't want to talk about sin. Folks, all have sinned. Preaching, great preaching will expose sin for what it is. It won't try to make it okay. It won't try to overlook it. The sinner can never know that he's a sinner if sin is not exposed. We saw thirdly that a great church must have great power. We talked about that power that they had to wait upon. The source of that great power is God himself. There is no other. There is the only place. That's the only power that will accomplish the work of God. When God told them to wait, it was on the day of Pentecost that we read about, that that power came upon them because the Holy Ghost that Jesus was sending in his place. You and I now, when we become a child of God, that same Holy Spirit that was there on the day of, that same Holy Spirit that was there on the day of Pentecost lives and dwells within us as believers. The source of the great power is Him, but the sustaining of that great power is up to you. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not getting more of God, it's God getting more of you. A clean vessel, a truly converted membership, a clean membership, a consistent walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, not just a, a Sunday go-to-meeting Christianity, continually depending upon Him. So we find that it's going to require great purpose, great preaching, great power. And of course, that brings great persecution. Because of their great faith and their great fervor, we see some of that. We see that persecution coming because if Jesus Christ is truly being seen through you and therefore through our church, it's going to upset some people. We don't go around trying to make people mad or to make enemies. We want to be like Jesus Christ. We want Jesus Christ to be seen. If he's the one that's being exalted and sin is what's being exposed, if the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is what's being offered, then we find that great persecution is going to come just like it did with them. We said it's going to require a great people, not great in money, not great in education, not great in anything of this world, but great in love. Love one for another and a longing one for them. They, they wanted to be together. They wanted to put the others before themselves. 
Many times it's on the church not doing enough for me. Or, man, if they were really Christians, they'd be helping me with this. So the focus is always, what can I do for that person that needs? How can I be a blessing to someone else? And a longing, a desire, a desire to be here, to be with each other, to be in each other's home, a great desire to be one another. That's what makes a great people. And then, of course, we, we saw that it not only requires a great people, but a great promise we looked at on Easter Sunday. <laughs> the great promise, Jesus Christ. <laughs> he did die. He was buried in that grave. He did rise again the third day. And he did, as we sing earlier, he is coming again for you and I. That's our great promise. That's what's going to be. That was what, with great power, gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. We can meet humanity with a whole lot of needs. Folks, the great promise that's going to make us a great church is to be proclaiming a resurrected Jesus Christ. He did die on the cross, but he's alive today and he's doing well. We saw that it requires great praise as we saw last week. Praising him for his greatness, praising him for his grace, praising him for his goodness. You know, there's two things I want to give you this morning. One, I just kind of thought of that as I was studying back over my notes yesterday. And in, in some ways, it probably is included in what we've already looked at. We talked about a great people. But it takes a great patience. <laughs> a great patience with one another. Because guess what? No matter how great a church we are, we are a church of very, very imperfect people. There's nobody here that's arrived yet. And as a matter of fact, if you think you've arrived more than somebody else, you're probably at the back of the line. When we begin to look at others and all of those, great patience, one with another, the, the, they, were, they were talking there about this, this forbearance. That's part of how that we edify each other. Forbearing one another. Considering one another. Not always looking at whether it's that, you know... <laughs> You can try something different for lunch on Sundays besides roast preachers, they used to say. What the preacher said right and what the preacher said wrong and what the preacher didn't get right last week. Hey, I'll get a lot of things wrong. If you're expecting a perfect pastor, you are in the wrong place. I don't care how short or how long a time you've been here. I got a lot of them. You know what? I'm just an imperfect sinner saved by grace. It's only by God's grace that I get anything right. And so don't be surprised if you see a lot of things that I get wrong. I can only try by his power, by his strength. But that's the same for all of us. We're a bunch of imperfect people. Do we want to look at all the imperfections or do we want to let that love shine through? But you know, today, one of the things that keeps us going is because you ever have those bad days? <laughs> you ever have one of those days when it might, be, it might be physically, it might be emotionally, it might be spiritually? It can be all kinds of ways. It may be just in your practical day. You just feel like you're having the worst day of your life. I mean, this storm, you're just not sure if you're going to get through it or not. Well, that's kind of the last thought that I want us to look on today. We talked about the great promise. Folks, we've got great promises. We not only have great promise of the one that died on the cross that rose the third day and is coming again for us, but do you realize he's given us a book full of promises, promises that we need to live on, that we need to bank on, that we need to, to live each day as if we truly, truly believed them. Words to the song go this way. 
Maybe you're facing a storm in your life right now. Songwriter says, In the dark of the midnight Have I oft hid my face While the storm howls above me And there's no hiding place Mid the crash of the thunder Precious Lord, hear my cry, keep me safe till the storm passes by, till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever from the sky. Hold me fast, let me stand in the hollow of thy hand. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. Many times Satan whispered, There is no need to try, For there's no end of sorrow, There's no hope by and by. But I know Thou art with me, and tomorrow I'll rise where the storms never darken the sky. Sing it with me. Till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever from the sky. Hold me fast, let me stand in the hollow of thy hand. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. Listen, when the long night has ended and the storm comes no more, let me stand in thy presence on that bright, peaceful shore in that land where the tempest never comes. Lord, may I dwell with thee when the storm passes by. Altogether, till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever from the sky. Hold me fast, let me stand in the hollow of thy hand. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. You know, we can sing those words, but do we believe them today? You see, that's something that will help to make us a great church because I assure you, there's going to be some storms that are going to come. Storms are going to cloud the way sometimes. And we naturally see in the reading here that many times those storms are going to come from the very world that we're trying to reach with the greatest news on earth, with the greatest gift that they could be given. You know, the one thing that we don't want, we don't want those storms to be coming into our life 
not from without, but from within. From within. So many times we make it hard on each other. We make it hard. We see the darkness. We see the weaknesses. We see the failings. We see the battles instead of seeing the Lord. What was the songwriter said? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Jesus Christ is there. You see, he says here in, in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, And behold, Jesus said, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Jesus promised, I, again, I go back, and I know John chapter 14, those beautiful, wonderful words, he did give them for comfort. He did promise you. He wanted you. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. That's his promise to you. Your place is prepared there to be with Jesus Christ for eternity. Then what is in verse 12? <laughs> Talking about while we're still here. Now, greater works than these shall ye do because I go unto the Father. That's the promise. He told them when he gave them, wait. Wait until that power comes. We don't have to wait any longer. We get that power when we become his. The Holy Spirit. That is one of the great promises. That hope. First Peter chapter 1. Of course, Peter knew a little bit about persecutions. <laughs> Peter, when he left this world... History tells us that as he was crucified, he didn't even feel worthy. This was the same one, remember, that tried to hide away in the crowd when Jesus was there being mocked, being accused. He tried to hide amongst the crowd. He denied the Lord Jesus that three times. He's the same Peter that stood up and preached on the day of Pentecost at the birth of that church there in Jerusalem. That Peter, he says here in 1 Peter chapter 1, as he's thinking back, and he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers, scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Listen, he's speaking to those that have been scattered, those that have faced the persecutions. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto what? Unto a lively hope, unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope is not a dead hope. It's not based in some grave somewhere. It's not based in even just some preserved book that man has written. Our hope is a living hope because our hope is in Jesus Christ himself. You see, <laughs> I tried to count one time. And I finally gave up, and everything that I looked at had all these different ones. Maybe sometime just to count the total number of promises that God has made to us in the Word of God. You better have a little time on your hand because there's lots of them there. But I want to remind you today, I don't know. You see, being a great church doesn't mean that everything is going to go perfect. 
We're going to have to love each other beyond our failings and our shortcomings. We're going to have to love most of all for him. And when we get it wrong, why not try to help each other get it right instead of just trying to criticize and show how bad that somebody else is? The world is going to come at us. The world isn't going to like it if their sin is being exposed. The world is not going to like it if we're telling them that they need a Savior and that one is Jesus Christ. You know what? There's some out there that will. There's some out there that are asking that question right now. Where is their hope? Our hope is in Jesus Christ. We find that I could say a lot of things, but time won't allow me this morning. Let me give you a couple of passages. You see, whatever your need is today, you know these promises. But do you really? Do you really count on it? Do you really? When those things, those difficult times, those burdens, when they're coming your way, do you really count it as being actual fact? You see, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, the Bible says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. My God, whatever, I know, needs are real. God knows that they're real. You may feel sometimes like the, the need is just so great. It's not, I'm telling you that if we realize and recognize and understand God, I mean, whether it's food or whether it's clothing or whether it's shelter, whether it's companionship, whether it's love, whether it's salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll supply all your need not according to even all the riches this world holds, but according to his riches in glory. They're limitless, all the riches of this earth. They're nothing in comparison to his riches in glory, but he's going to do that by Christ Jesus. That's where it's at. You may have real needs today. We can't deny that. But do you realize that either God is real and his promises are real for you, or he's a liar. None of us have any hope anyway. We're going to have a great church. His promises are real to us, and he's going to supply every need that you have. We find also that that's not the only promise that God makes to you. Look with me, if you would, into Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12, and notice what he says down in... Uh, in verse 9, and he said unto me, you see, the apostle Paul here had a thorn in the flesh. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what that is, and people speculate all the time. I think it's a good reason why God didn't tell us what it was, because what God did for the apostle Paul, it doesn't matter what the thorn is. Do you know, you know what it feels like when you grab that thorn, and I mean, just that little poke, that peck, and I mean, what's your immediate reaction? You jerk back because it hurts. I don't know what the Apostle Paul's was, but you take that thorn and you stick it in there and you keep it in there, and you hold it in there. It was, a, it was something that was very, very painful and an irritant to him, whatever that it might have been. And you see, the Apostle Paul tells us this. He says, for though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think me above that which he seeth me to be, and that he, he heareth of me. I don't want anybody 
to think that I'm a great man, and lest I should be exalted above measure through abundance of revelations, not only what others think, but unless I begin to think too much of myself because of what God's done through me, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Many people think that the Christian life, the Christian life is one that we shouldn't have any problems, any pain, any difficulties. Paul said, hey, listen to me, church. He said, so that you don't think too much of me and so that I don't think too much of myself, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. God gave me something that is there that is not very nice. He goes on to say, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. It was there to, to hurt him. Why did God allow something to cause him pain like that? He said, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. I prayed earnestly. He says in verse 9, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You see, there's a difference God doesn't want anything bad for you. All things do work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. If you really belong to God, can you grasp and understand? It may hurt. It may not, it may not be nice to be going through. It may be painful. But if God's allowing it to be there, it's for your overall good. It's for your good. His grace is sufficient. We could read many things about that if we had time this morning. We could preach a whole sermon just on God's grace. What you want you to know is that he's promised. He's promised to supply every need you have. Now, your wants may be different from your needs, and don't, don't start blaming God because you don't have everything that you want. He says we pray amiss because we ask oftentimes that we might consume it upon our own lust, our own selfish desires. But God will supply all your needs. God has promised that if you're going through a difficult time, he does have a reason for it. And his grace is sufficient. And that it's times that God, his strength can be seen the greatest when he sees you going through the weakness rather than removing it. God supplies your need. God's promised his grace is sufficient. God has promised you. God has promised you that you will not be overtaken in a temptation if you'll look to him. Jude said, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You see, one day, whatever's going on in your life, God is going to see you presented faultless in the Lord Jesus Christ. One day, you will be just like him. I know. I know sometimes, just like me, you look in that mirror and you say, whoa, what is wrong with you? How can you possibly? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. You think sometimes you're the only one that's having to face that? You're the only one having that problem? 
He says, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. Other people have had to deal with the same thing. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. I know sometimes... I know you give in to the temptation. I know you fall to the temptation, but that's not God's fault. Can I remind you that there is no temptation taken you, such as is common to man, and that temptation doesn't come without realizing that God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape. Sadly, when we falter, when we sin, when we give in to the temptations, it was our choice. <laughs> we didn't have to. It was our choice. God will give you the way of escape. So I want you to realize today, God will. Temptations will come, but God will give you a way of escape. You know what? They can, sometimes those things come against you. You just think you can't take it anymore. That death itself may seem like it's on the horizon. You don't have to fear that. <laughs> Acts 2.32, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, for I deliver unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. And later in verse 57, he says, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The boldness of this church was preaching a resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. You have victory over death. What can they do to you? They would frighten you more than taking your very life away. And yet, what are they promising you? <laughs> Jesus says you have victory over it. As a saint, you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear what man can do to you. Because we have a resurrected Lord, and we rise with him when our faith and trust is in him. Well, death, where is I sting. There's nothing for us to, to be afraid of. Where's your victory? There is none. Because our victory is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Where is your defeat? There is no defeat for the Christian. Our victory is in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been promised that victory. Romans 8, 28, I've already touched him. God has promised you whatever it is. All things work together for good. If you're the called of God, if you are the called according to his promise, that promise is there. God's promised that those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with the forgiveness of their sins will be saved. The truth is, is that if you're here today, if you've never, ever, ever gone to seek forgiveness for your sins, I can promise you today that God has promised you that he will forgive you of your sins. Right there in the book of Acts where we were Reading earlier, if you turn back just a few pages to Acts chapter 2 and in verse 38, then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repent. Turn from your sins. Turn from your wicked ways. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, whether it's you, or whether it's your loved one, or whether it's your friend, or whether it's your worst enemy, if they call upon the Lord, if they call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, believing and trusting in his finished work, they can be saved, whoever they are, whoever you are today. And, of course, we talked about in the last few weeks in Bible study, and we touched on it again this morning, God has promised his people eternal life. It's not just now that you have the promise of God for your life as a Christian, but it's for all of eternity. In the Gospel of John chapter 10, notice what he says in verse 27 and 28. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Closing this morning, you see, the Christian hope is a hope that when it's seen everything, when it's endured everything, it still hasn't despaired. It may have faced the worst that this world can throw at it. But it hasn't despaired because it believes in God. It believes that our risen Savior is alive within us today. The Christian hope is not a hope that's in the human spirit. It's not even in human goodness, though we thank God for all the goodness. It's not in human endurance that we can stand up to it certainly not in human achievement in what we can accomplish. See, our hope is a hope in the power of God, the power of God. Our hope is a living hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the real question today is we've looked at these over these eight Sundays, how can our church be a great church? It begins with, each and every one of us today. You see, the question really is, will we be a great church? The Bible tells us how we can be a great church, but will we be a great church? Will I let God have his way in my life? I believe with all my heart that this church here in Birmingham, England, can be a great, great church. Not certainly because of me, but because of these things that we've looked at in God's Word. If we have a great purpose, if we have great preaching, if we have great power, great persecution, great people, great promise, great praise, and the great promises of God every day of our life, we can, just as the church in Acts, we can be a people, just as the text says before you up there, that with great power can give witness, can give witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and great grace can be upon us all. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know where you are today in your walk. I want to remind you that today God's promises are real for you.
And if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he has promised that he will forgive you. He will take away your sins, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus Christ is, our living hope that not only died on the cross for your sins, but the third day rose again, that you might live forever. Today, if you're here and you don't know that reality in your heart, would you slip your hand up and say, Preacher, would you pray for me when you pray? Would you remember me when you pray? Do you know that today in your heart? Would you lift your hand and say, I don't have that certainty, and I would really appreciate your prayers if you would pray for me. God sees your heart. God sees your hand. How about you here today? Maybe you say, you know, maybe you're a part of this church, maybe another church. Maybe you'd like to say, you know, I don't want to just be a part of some earthly organization. I want to be a part of the great church, the great church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know, I may not be able to control everybody else, but I'll say as we're getting ready to sing here in a few moments, Lord, have thine own way with me. Have your way with me, Lord. Do with me what you would. Do you believe today? Do you believe today that God can make a difference in your life, that you can make a difference in the church? Would you slip your hand up and say, pray for me, because I truly do want the Lord to have his way with my life. I want to be a part of a great church, body of Christ today. God sees your hands. God knows your heart. Father, today we've just tried to be reminded of some of the great promises that you've made us, Lord. I know life can get hard sometimes, Sometimes we don't feel like that we're making the headway that we should, and sometimes the struggles can be so real. But, Lord, please help us today to remember your promises to us. From that first day that you forgive us for our sins when we come humbly before you, Lord, to every need that we might have, Lord, to every temptation that comes our way that, Lord, if we look to you, you will give us a way of escape. Lord, when we understand and when we don't understand that we can know with absolute certainty that you're sovereign and you're in control and it's all going to work together for our good, because one day, one day, we will be presented. The church would be presented as a spotless bride. So help us today, Lord, not to be downbeaten, not to be discouraged, not to be downtrodden because of the persecutions of either the world, those around us, but help us to look to you. And help us truly in our hearts today to give ourselves to you and truly mean these words as we sing, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.